This is the Roden Fellows Podcast. Capital One is a proud partner of the Roden Fellows Program, which provides opportunities to aspiring sports journalists from historical black colleges and universities to produce content, including this podcast throughout the year. Capital One supports this program as a part of their larger commitment to the advancement of students from HBCUs. What's up, you guys? And welcome to ESPN's Anscape Rodin Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, JC Christian, a communications major at the Alabama State University, coming from Birmingham, Alabama. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by my producer and colleague, Pam Rents. What's up, everybody? I am Pam Rents, a graduating senior broadcast journalism student at the Florida A&M University from Waldorf, Maryland. What's good, JC? It's another episode with me and you on here. It's been a little minute, but, you know, one of my favorites to do the podcast with. For sure, for sure. You know we taking over. We taking over. Taking so, over. You know, you know, Darius Miles. Oh, let's get into it. What's, what's going I'll just on? Hop right. I'm going to just hop right into it, JC. I know you already heard about this because it was in your home state, Alabama, a little mm-hmm. farther up. Tuscaloosa. What you know about Tuscaloosa? Come on, man. I'd be down there. Come on now. <laughs> you, ever, you ever been to the strip? Because this is where this whole thing took down at. I've been to the strip a few times. Like the strip is crazy. I got crazy stories on the strips, but it's just it's crazy. I'm not even gonna lie. So let me tell our viewers what happened before we get into the strip. So right, let's go. So a University of Alabama basketball player by the name of Darius Miles. He's from Washington, D.C. He and his friend um, Michael Davis were out and about on the Tuscaloosa Strip, as they call it, which is, I, I assume it's a populated area with restaurants and bars and, and clubs. Uh, is that right, J.C.? Yeah, it's just pretty much a whole strip of activities, period. Right. So um, on January 15th, they were out. Um, hanging out with each other, they approached a woman um, by the name of Jamia Jonay Harris. Uh, I they were trying to sauce her up. I she declined advances. Was like no. There was an altercation with Jamia, Darius Miles, his friend Michael Davis, and Jamia's boyfriend. Later on that evening, the um, Darius and Michael found Jamia in the car with her boyfriend. They fired shots into the vehicle, killing Jamia. Shots were fired back in retaliation into Darius Miles' car. Um, One of the suspects in the car was injured, but there were no life-threatening injuries. The only person who passed away in the incident was Jamia, and Jamia is a 23-year-old mother. Um, And now, immediately after the... um, the, um, Police had arrested Darius and Michael for uh, capital murder uh, after Jamia was pronounced dead. He was immediately removed from the University of Alabama basketball team, and he was removed as a student from the university. And now everybody is just looking at it from a lot of different angles, how genuinely declining a man's advances can cost you a life, how impulsive and ridiculous the the altercation was and how Darius is looking at spending the rest of his life behind bars 
when he had a bright future to possibly an NBA um, position on a team. And there, I have not seen too much information on the friend. I just know the friend is from Maryland. He's from the area that I'm from actually. But what do you think about all this JC? I'm on, I'm, I'm pretty livid. The fact that he took the life of a mother of a, of a young woman who had her whole life ahead of her for just politely declining saying, I, I just am not interested. And it's not in the sense that he didn't have anything going for him. He had plenty going for him. What are you thinking? Overall, the whole situation is just messed up, period. Like, I'm, I'm going to put it like this. You're ruining your life over a woman. Like, like you said, you have your whole life planned ahead. You're playing great basketball at University of Alabama. A lot of people don't even get that opportunity. Being from Alabama, I understand how hard it is even get to college, period. And it's like you throw that away because someone told you no. Like, move on. It's not even that deep. But the fact that you took the life of a 23-year-old woman, period. I didn't even know she was a mother. Like, that's crazy. Like, now... Yeah, he has a toddler. Yeah. Like, the son or daughter has the girl without a mother in their life. And I just hope the father's there. Like, I'm, I'm wondering how he's feeling about the whole situation. Like, she's out there with her boyfriend. Just chilling, not even bothering nobody. And, like, she loses her life. And that's crazy. Like, period. You just ruined your whole life over not getting a female's number. Like, I don't, I don't understand that, period. Like, even being from here, it's just crazy to even know that that's going on. Like, things like that can go on. Like, I understand. Um... I know, like, I have a sister, right? So mm-hmm. if I if if that happened to my sister, I would be I would be livid, like I would be upset because my sister isn't the type that'll cause drama or anything. And to know that somebody took her life because she said no, what? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. And I really am praying for Jamia's family. I'm praying for the family of the boyfriend, and. I'm honestly looking into this as um, it's kind of good on the University of Alabama's standpoint. Like we don't have any to- like we don't tolerate any of the the gun violence zero policy, and immediately removing him from the roster. But also, we need to look at ourselves as Americans of like how impulsive we are and the gun violence that's going on that's taking a lot of young lives, a lot of young black lives. Right. It doesn't do anything but prove prove everybody right. When incidents like this, incidents like these, when they happen, they always say, you know, African-Americans aren't this, African-Americans aren't that. We, we are supposed to hold ourselves to a higher standard as far as being great people, achieving achieving things that we've always wanted to achieve. Black, ex- black excellence is the thing. Like, in situations like this, that doesn't make us look good at all. At all. Like, it, it upsets me to know that this young brother legit just threw it all away in an opportunity that a lot of young black men would want to be in. Like, that's just crazy to me. A and lot of just, people take his spot and he, yeah, just walked yeah, away from like, Right. Like, I'm personally, I'm just wondering what he's thinking right now. Wherever the he case- is. The case is still developing. I definitely saw a video of him being taken out in handcuffs, of him like crying, him being remorseful. But I want to hear the rest of the 
the story mm-hmm. and 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 hear how the case is developing because I want this to just be a lesson for everybody to be safe when you're out, um, be cognizant, and just know that uh, life is short and people are are not right in the head. Right, and it's Bama did the right thing to just take mm-hmm. him off the roster, but you know personally they were gonna do that. You know, even if he, you know, like yeah, they, even if he you. Even if she didn't pass away, I, yeah. I think he was gonna be he was gonna be taken off the roster. And on top of that, <laughs> let this be a lesson for men and women that when they just say just tell the men no or just walk away, that it will never be enough for some men. Right. At this point, like I've heard stories of certain things like this. At this point, as a woman, you you being a woman, at this point, would you just give your number out and don't answer, block it? What like what's the what's the best way to just decline because it makes it seem like you can't say no without something happening i don't know it it all just gives that it all just gives a very eerie feeling about living and just being in a very dangerous world but like i said i i'm ready to hear the developing of this case to just see what um they're gonna decide on because capital murder capital murder is a serious serious charge it's definitely crazy. Like, his life is over. It's mm-hmm. over. And, like, you know, like I stated before, I've been to the strip with friends, you know, hung out, went there after the Bama game. Because it's, like, a popular – it's a popular spot. Everybody goes there. You know, no matter if you're white, black, purple, pink, blue, everybody is there. So it's just a mixture of cultures, period. But, like, you got to be bold even, you know, up anything there because there are a lot of people that can see you as well as, you know, you're known on the campus because you play you're, ball. You're known back home. I'm sure he was a hometown hero making it out and getting to a big SEC school. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. All of it just hurts my heart. But on to our next segment. So I'm pretty sure you've heard or seen videos about Ed Reed and the Bethune-Cookman whole deal. It's a lot going on, but let's talk about the positive things of what he did. He gave Bethune cooking a voice and the people who were listening. Now, I can't go down my timeline without even seeing anything without Bethune cooking being in the news. Yeah, it's really crazy in the HBCU world. Everything's going on with Bethune and the football team. But um, right now, we have Janiah Jones here, criminal justice justice major and SGA president from Bethune-Cookman University to give us the inside details. Janaya, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining us. Of course. I'm happy to be here. That's good. That's good. So, you know, let's, let's just hop into it. Like, how, what is Bethune, what's going on in Bethune? Like, how, I can't even explain it. I just keep saying it. Like, what's going on? Okay, so um, I'll just start from the beginning. Uh, so you, as you all know, we did have Ed Reed as a prospect to be our football head coach, and you know he went on Instagram Live saying quite a few things, a mouthful actually, about you know the conditions of our school, you know things he's seen, and then I can say that following weekend we were informed that he would not be reinstated as head coach. So I can say that right there was the um, that was the icing on the cake for what we were going through because we felt 
he said what we've been saying for the longest, but people finally seen it, which led to protests happening because we felt like we were being silenced almost. Right. I feel I feel that. I mean, we both we are everybody in this call goes to HBC. So we definitely know every HBCU has problems. And like just to actually listen to hear that you guys are actually being heard and standing together as a student body, I feel yeah. like it's important. Definitely. The fact that you guys are being heard and you know, it's all on social media. Bethune, they I don't think they have said anything about like the whole problem that have there. Um, no, I don't think it's been addressed yet, but this week we will be having a town hall with our interim president. So hopefully everything will be able to be addressed and put on the table. And see, I understand what you're saying when uh, the students who are living in these conditions every day and actually pay to attend this university say, these are the problems, these are the issues. And as an administration, you should be working actively to fix that. But when Ed Reeves, who is not a student and like doesn't even go here, like says something and there is not even a step towards progress, it's just, no, we no longer want to work with you onto the regularly scheduled program. I can understand why there's an uproar because you're not even going to listen to your faculty. You're not going to listen to your students. Right. You're just going to keep brushing things under the rug. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly how it was seen. But we were told um, they did not reinstate him because what he did goes against our core values. And, you know, he, he did do a lot of cursing smoking a cigar while on the live on <laughs> campus so that I feel like that is what played a big part in not, you know, having him sign that contract as head coach. I mean, yeah. Oh, you got it. I can understand. I, I was going to say, yeah, I can understand. It's in some context, there were inappropriate things said and right. The cigar is a bad look. He could have done a more professional, um, mm-hmm broadcasting of that however do you think that the this whole situation has um banded the student body together even more and do you think that um after this is resolved because i'm speaking into existence once this gets resolved um the this won't be like a fake unite like you guys will you know be closer because of this i honestly i honestly believe that this has brought us you know together because we're, we're supposed to be a family and you know, it it's sad it took all of this to make us that, but I feel like after when it's all said and done, we can we can keep it how it is, this tight knit community that gets the job done. I do have a few things that I kinda wanna throw out there. Like, yeah, the whole thing about him not getting this uh reinstated or even being able to sign a contract is crazy. The whole thing about it though, the cigar thing. It, it's not Ed Reed without the cigar. I'm sorry. Because Ed Reed is Ed Reed with the cigar. Like, he's he's been that way since, you know, him playing for the Ravens and just going crazy. He, was, he always had a, He's always had a cigar. It's just been him. Right. Now, like, the way he handled things, he could have handled it a little bit more professional. But right. the way he thought, I guess he thought he was Dion in a sense. Like, he thought he had 
which he does have a platform in some way, form or fashion to voice his opinion, but he just went about it the wrong way. And if he probably went about it the correct way, he would still be there, still be coaching or, you know, about mm-hmm. to coach and all that great stuff. But, um, like I said, I think he really did play a big role in getting you guys um, a voice because, like you said before, you guys were saying things about like you know the mold and all that, which is crazy. I'm gonna get into, I'm gonna get into that in a second, but it's like you know you guys were already talking about it, and it mm-hmm. took him actually going online to start cursing and like you know being himself, speaking about these problems about everything that's going wrong for them to actually listen. And, you know, just me personally, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to KJ earlier this week um, about, like, mold and stuff in the dorms. I just told her, shut up, I would have left. Like, I don't, I don't see how y'all could do it. Just me personally. I did I see, see, no, I did yeah, see I one Twitter post of um, somebody's Cookman dorm, and there was mold on her sheets. It was mold on, like, uh. The pillow, her hair. Yes. Yes, yes. You, you know what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> I was appalled. Like at first, I was like, "There's no way this is mold," but the fact that it's like growing, like it's like a like a science experiment. Like this is <laughs> like the forest. I'm sickened. Like that's her personal stuff. That's y'all personal. And it's not like what there's regulations with people having to stay on campus. Like the fresh, like your first year, freshman year. Mm-hmm. What is going on, Cookman? Stand up, like stand up. I mean, I feel like they're standing now. They're coming together, and you know, Janaya, have you like, have you have you been with them in these protests? Oh yes, I, I have every day working like a dog, day in day out. Got you. So I'm I'm in SGA here at Alabama State. So like, what is SGA doing to pretty much? keep the student body calm as everybody's trying to work together to get this problem solved. Okay. So by the way, I am the vice president. Um, We've been, we've been meeting with our interim president. So, um, so not only have we been at the protests, we've been meeting with, you know, a lot of faculty staff, like his secretary himself, you know, so we've been just making sure things are getting done because, you know, these are our demands. This is what we want. Is it going to happen? So we've been making sure it's been getting done. Like um, even with the town hall, we've been pushing for the town hall as soon as possible. We got that. So we're just making sure everyone is on their P's and Q's at the moment. Got you, got you. And, you know, this is kind of like a more so personal question. Like, did you even have experiences like mold or anything going on in your dorm like that? Yeah, I I sure did. Mm -hmm. How, like, how do you deal with that? Because like I said, me personally, I'm not picky and I'm like, I will, I'll sleep on a rock. Like, it, that's just me. But like, personally, how do you deal with mold being on like your pillow and like mold growing in the room? Because that stuff stinks and it's nasty. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you deal with it? See, mine was not that bad, but I still had it. It was, um, it was actually on my walls. It was on the ceiling. It, oh, it was, oh. yeah, it was, it, it was bad, but I, the way I did, I stayed out of my room until I had to go to sleep. Oh, and that's how you became really involved on campus? Mm-hmm. Stay out of my room until I had to go to sleep. Wow. Dang. I, I'm praying for y'all. Like, that's, that's 
really bad for your health is not a way that people should be treated when you're paying for the experience and your administration really should um take into account what the what the students are saying i i want to know do they are they seeing the protest as an inconvenience or are they actually like listening to what you guys are saying when you're out there both and i say both because um being that we are a private institution, we don't we don't really get money from the state. So we you know we depend on donations, donors, all of that good stuff. So some people that you know are willing to donate might see what's going on and be like, never mind, they they not getting my money. And then they're also listening because I think since Monday we've seen um health inspectors, they've been fixing buildings, they've been they've been on it a little extra. So I feel like it's really both. Oh, that's like, good. Seeing some health inspectors, yeah, progress. Definitely a, a step in the right direction, and it definitely raised like it raised the question of you guys being a private institution. Like, where's my money going? In a sense, like mm -hmm. if all this is going on in dorms and all that stuff, like where is it actually going? Like, I hope it's not going to the professors. You know, for them getting a bonus or. You know, going to things that really don't matter on the campus, but like, where's that actually going for healthy, you know, environments for the students? Because without the students, they wouldn't be able to. Thank you. And, but um, our, the president did tell us, he was like, you know, they could clean the mold all at once. But if they do that, we have to go home, being that we don't have enough dorms on campus. It's a lot of us and not as many dorms. So, he, he was saying, you know, he's just trying to prevent everybody from going home because people hate going home. So it's it's either or, honestly, which is understandable. But I feel like maybe, you know, you got to do what you have to do. If you need to send us home so y'all can do what y'all need to do, then so be it. Or put y'all in hotels for just a week so you can just go in and really sanitize the place and, you know, revamp the AC system. I don't really know what is causing the mold to grow, but... They can I can tell you. What is it? I can tell you. So part of it is um students smoking in the dorm. You know, nobody's gonna <gasps> nobody's gonna say what? it. Students smoking in the bathroom. So, you know, we we're sweet style. So what they do, they go in the bathroom, turn on the shower, have towels covering the doors, and smoke, you know, they whole hot box. So that that is a big part of the cause of mold because it spreads. So, you know, once you open that bathroom door, it'll start spreading. So th that's the big part. So that just all falls into housing. Hold these people accountable. If y'all know this is the cause, y'all need to hold people accountable. Definitely, especially if it's if it's that bad. Like, personally, I didn't even know that. Like, hot box in the bathroom would pretty much make mold grow. Mm -hmm. like, I, didn't I, I didn't know that. That was the cause. Moisture. But that makes sense. It's adding up. Definitely. Yeah, so they might beat me up when I say it again in the town hall, but you know we have to hold ourselves accountable first. No, amen. Definitely, like, you can't you can't be yelling about oh I'm living in horrible conditions. Well, what part did you take in creating those horrible conditions? Right, you're causing them. Mm -hmm. So you know it's gonna it's gonna be a little difficult to shake them with that one, but they they need to hear it because this if this is how we prevent it, then that's how we prevent it. Personally, I'm with you. Say what you got to say. Like, I mean, like you said, you have to hold people accountable for what they're doing. Like, this mold isn't just growing in its own. 
Exactly. People are doing things or they have, you know, old food or whatever is helping grow that mold in their dorms. People can also be a lot cleaner. Like, I'm I'm getting that you guys are getting health expenses and all that stuff, but, like, you really shocked. Like, I did not know that. Like, you really educated me on something about, (laughs) you know, mold, because I didn't know that. Like, I've had sweet mates that smoke in the bathroom and all that stuff. Like, and personally, I didn't say nothing, but I've never seen mold come from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it just creates a lot of moisture. And then on top of that, if they don't clean up, like soap scum can also lead to mold. It's it's a lot that can really lead to mold. You know, science really does be sciencing, but a lot can lead up to it. So if you're not cleaning, at least you're go- you're bound to get it. It's going to happen. Wow. Well, we do wish you the best at this town hall. We really thank you for coming on here. JC, did you have anything else to ask, Janaya? Uh, I didn't have anything else to say, but just from one HBCU student to another, I hope you guys push through, and I hope, you know, everything goes well for you guys. Like, I hope they clean up, they clean up everything and make it better, make it a better HBCU experience, because that's crazy. Yes, thank you guys so much for the support. Of course, a thousand percent. You have a good one. All right. You too. All right. Thank you. So, Pam, now I would like to give a few minutes with the interview with my granddad, Alfred Morris. He's the oldest family member in my family. And we talked a little bit about his journey from growing up in Birmingham to everything that he's seen has changed. So my name is JC Christian. I'm here with my granddad, Alfred Morris. So um, when were you born? May 15th, 1941. 1941. So you were alive pretty much during the civil rights movement and yes. everything else during that time. You know, what, from your outlook on it, you know, how did you get involved? What did you get involved at all? How did I get involved with- uh, During the civil rights movement? The civil rights? Well, after high school, I went into the military. Then I got out in 1966 and things had changed and I got letters written to me about how things were in Birmingham. You know, doing the 16th Street bombing of the church in 64. But uh, other than that, life in Birmingham is great now compared to what it was back then. Uh, integration and uh, segregation, you know, made a big difference in where you could go, where you could not go, you know. So that that's a big change there. But for as young people nowadays, compared to my days, we didn't have as much transportation to get around to do different things as they do now with the with the cars. You had to ride the bus or walk or somebody to pick you up. But as far as uh, raising a kid nowadays, it's totally 100% different because they don't listen and they don't want to understand. And to, to, they have more freedom to sue you or sue the company or you work for or whatever, you know. That's the biggest difference, you know, and they don't listen. And I don't want to use the word, uh, I don't want to use the word uh, segregation as an excuse, uh, integration as an excuse, but integration really hurt us, you know, it really did, because we had our own places of entertainment, our own places of schools and uh, in churches. But now integration, you can go anywhere you so desire, you know. So do you think segregation played a big part well, um, back then, as far as keeping whites separate from blacks? Segregation played a big part in raising your child the right way, so you wouldn't get in a whole lot of trouble. Integration really hurt us, you know, as a people. But like I said, we had our own churches, had our own schools, 
had our own neighborhoods, bars, and et cetera to go to, and we knew our limit of uh, entertainment. But now it's totally different. Right. So, you know, with all the segregation and now it's different from raising children from then and I was a lot more strict then than it is now. I wouldn't say it's a lot more strict, but it's, it's more uh, raising kids back in my day until raising kids nowadays. The parents were more, much more stricter. And then you had uh, parents that kind of knew where the kids were. But now the kids can be somewhere and tell you they're across the street. They can be six miles away or 12 miles away by these cell phones and, they, and uh, video game videos that they show, you know. It can be way out of town. They tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend the night over here. And they, before you could spend a night at a parent house, in my day, you had to get permission from the other parents so they would be able to coincide. They both would know exactly where you were. Yeah. What would you say is your most memorable moment being here in Birmingham? Surviving the, uh, the sickest integration and segregation days, you know, Bull Connor days. And then uh, you can compare Bull Connor days with being in the military in the war or Vietnam or whatever, you know. Segregation was in the military also back in the 6, 64, 65, 66 from when I got out, you know. So I still back to go to the fact that integration hurt us as a people in the South. Okay. Have you seen a change within integration? Yeah, I've seen the change in integration. I can go where I want to go, spend my money where I want to, uh, buy a different car here, but they still is in control, you know. They don't allow you to do so much, you know. Uh, integration does, you know. Even though you say you're free, we're not free. You're just able to move around better, you know, and to go to different places you want to go. But then uh, integration plays either, either Either way you go, integration really hurt us as a people. That's the bottom line. Usually in a black household, you're given a decision to either go to school or to go to the military. As far as, you know, going to the military, what would you say to the younger generation? Would you encourage it or would you tell them to go to school? Well, you can learn discipline in the military. You can learn discipline in the military, 100%, you know. But they tell you when you compare the military with prison. Military, you can get up and learn discipline and have a time to get out. When you go to prison, you may not ever get out. You, you can learn discipline in there, but you'll have a chance to show it when you get out. Military, you get, at least you know where you're going. You got uh, three meals uh, a day, training, discipline, and you get paid, you know. But uh, prison, compared to that, you don't know when you'll get out. I would I suggest the kids nowadays not even try to uh, uh, go to prison. Because it's so much going on in the prison than there is on the outside, you know. They have just as much writing and more technology in there than they do outside, you know. So, like I say, if you can, look, you can learn military discipline. That's the bottom line. You can learn that, you know. Okay, so with discipline, discipline can go a long way as far as, you know, raising your child right and wrong. How do you feel about, you know, they nowadays you really can't hit your child. You can't really discipline your child without telling them just to go to their room and not do anything. Well, that brought about with integration. 
Back in the day when I was raised, you get hit with a broomstick or a broom handle, whatever the parent had in the hand, throw it to you, and you better not say anything about it, you know. Now you raise a kid and go to school, the teacher, the teacher can be disciplining your child, uh, spank him on his backside, then he got to go home and tell his parent. He ain't going to tell it as it is, but it's going to always be the teacher's fault, you know, that's why you got discipline. My child shouldn't be expected to expose to that, or expose to that, mm-hmm. you know. So that's the big difference between integration and segregation. Like I said, we had parents, segregation, you knew we had black, black schools, black teachers, black principals, they taught you right. Now you got white teachers, black teachers, they don't like this, they don't like the neighborhood you're from, or you dress, or the clothes that you wear. It makes a difference in the raising of a child and learning. Okay. For, do you have a message for the younger generation after me? Do I have what? Do you have a message for the younger generation after me? Or what yeah. advice would you give them? I would advise they respect your parents and do as you're supposed to do. Stay out of trouble. Trouble, because like I say, trouble can follow you anywhere and stay off these streets. These streets will be here. You will be gone. These streets don't change. The same streets I was raised on, they're still here. They haven't changed. They just got a different name for them. Yeah. So when you went into the military, you know, and I know a lot was probably different before you went in. Was there a change after you got out, or was it still the same as, like, segregation and uh, integration? Yeah, when I first went in the military, I was uh, young, 18 years old, 19 years old when I went in, 25 when I got out. But I couldn't even join the National Guard Reserve unless I had a certain uh, MOS, you know. Uh, uh, method of uh, a job assignment, you know. They were not letting, allowing blacks to be in uh, uh, National Guard unless you had a certain uh, MOS, as they call it, a, a code of conduct of, of working, you know. So it, it, it changed, but not drastically, you know. And like you said earlier in the conversation, there's a lot of changes, there's a lot more technology a lot more, you know, free movement. Um, parents aren't as strict, and it's just a big change as a whole. You know, as everything that's going on now, as far as, you know, from what you know from back then to now, what's the... Hmm. Well, you know, we had a saying back in the day, be at home when the street light come on. That means if you be outside playing, and the street light came on, and then you late. You should already be at home. Kids nowadays, they don't worry about the street light. They go, they go from daylight to daylight. You know, they leave home at six o'clock in the morning and come back the next day at daylight. And the parents don't can't say anything to them because they gonna pick up the phone. I'm gonna call nine one one. You know, mm-hmm. if you whoop them or, or spank them. You know, so that's that, that's the biggest change. You know, the law has has changed in the favor of the kids. You know. That's the biggest thing, you know. You know, you 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 just can't spank a kid now and say, and walk and turn your back on them. You know, they're gonna hurt you. They got gun control. They have drugs, et cetera. You don't know what your kid is on when you get out there. Like I say, when the street light came on Monday, be at home. When the street light came on, then you were ready until the next day to go to school. Now kids leave home daylight to daylight and come back if they want to, and you they don't want you saying anything to them. What's a motto or a message that you gave yourself to make it through the military, 
through Allegasco and just make it through Birmingham, period? Well, my home training from my mother and my grandmother and my parents, you know, do right and right will follow you. you. I have no problem with that. I was raised right. I didn't get as much rank as I uh, should have. I thought I was in the military. But the only thing I got out of military rank was I came out with a good conduct record. I had an excellent conduct rec- record, no problems, and that helped me get, get through it because I was raised on the, the values that my grandmother and my mother instilled in me while I was in the military. All right, so one last question pretty much to just round everything up. You know, you've been through a lifelong journey, and now you own, you know, a few things. You own properties. You own your own business, catering business, your own law and business. How do you keep that pushing, or why did you get it started? Well, I started for survival. I had a responsibility. I had to make ends meet to raise my family the way I should have without having to having the lights turned off or gas turned off. I had a responsibility over my head. I had to get out there and work and make make my ends meet, not live up in bed and sleep till 10, 11 o'clock during the day and be an eight-hour work job because it just wasn't going to pay. Now, when I got out of the military, I got a job paying a dollar, eighty and a half cent an hour when I got out of the military, and that was in 1966. Now, uh, kids make more in an hour than I would make in the whole day. Eight hours. So I asked the boss, how, how you going to pay my dollar eighty and a half cent an hour? He said, well, I have to work four hours. That's, uh, that's maybe four cents. So if you make dollar eighty cent an hour, that's less than $15 a day for eight hours a day. And now kids making $17 minimum wage, at least $17 an hour for minimum wage, you know. So it's a big difference. You have to make the ends meet without having to struggle. That's why I have to do it. Yeah. I appreciate you, Granddad. To our audience, thank you for tuning in for us for another episode of the Roden Fellow Podcast. We'd like to give a special thanks to Janaya for taking the time to be with us and sharing her experience. Extra thanks to Mr. Roden, Parker Owens, and the ESPN digital audio content team. Get all of your Roden Fellow Podcast by subscribing to the Anscape Listening tab with the ESPN app. Make sure you join us next time for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to go on the Anscape website to look at all the latest news and insight. I'm JC Christian, your host. And I'm Pam Rentz. And it was a great time to talking to you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed. We'll see you guys next time. See you next time.